listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at bethanynaz.org. Jesus talked a lot about love and forgiveness, didn't he? A lot about love and forgiveness. So in our former church uh, in Cincinnati, there was a lady who would show up there occasionally. She was the, do- the, the mother, rather, of a, of, her, of, of a lady who attended our church. So she would come with her daughter is what I'm trying to say. And, um, and uh, the reason I'm mentioning her to you is because she absolutely loved me. She just, she did. She loved me. It just feels like very few people in the world have loved me like she loved me, but she loved me. And, uh, and she was very elderly, very witty. Um, I remember one day I'd grown a beard uh, to be in a play, and I said to her, how do you like my beard? And without missing a beat, she just said, your face is too pretty to cover up. I'm just telling you what the lady said. That's all I'm just quoting the lady. It's easy to love people who love you. The easiest people in the world to love are the people who are nuts about you. So while Jesus talks about love and forgiveness and he gives us this love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us would say, yeah, I love my neighbor. But then Jesus gets really specific and he talks about loving the person who doesn't love you back. In fact, on one occasion, he says, if you only love those who love you, you what's that? He basically says anybody is capable of loving people who love them. And then he moves into this conversation about, but what if you loved your enemy? Boy, that's a different story. And I'm like, Jesus always takes us there, doesn't he? And he talked a lot about forgiveness. In in fact, when the disciples said, Jesus, we want you to teach us how to pray like you. you. You are awesome at prayer. We want to learn to pray like you pray. Teach us how to pray. Do you remember how Jesus taught them to pray about, you know, asking forgiveness while you are forgiving somebody else? In fact, I'll say the first line, you say the next line. And forgive us our trespasses as... They were somehow connected, weren't they? They were interrelated. This idea of, you know, forgiving and and being forgiven. Paul tries to sum up the words of Jesus when he says, forgive one another... As the Lord forgave you. When you get to the cross. The time for talking is done. There's no more talking. It's time for doing. That's where you put up or you shut up. And so on the cross, Jesus isn't talking anymore. He's doing it. Now it's an example. He goes beyond the words and he demonstrates this is what it looks like. And with spikes that have been driven through his wrist, suffering a great loss of blood, crown of thorns pushed down on his head in the last, in the last hours of his life, 
He prays that God will forgive the very people who have crucified him. Can you see him on the cross? I didn't, I didn't bring a picture because it's not, it's not good enough. I want you to imagine him with your own imagination. Flesh, blood. One of the most horrific sights you've ever tried to imagine. And when we see Jesus on the cross, we remember his words. Follow me. Do what I just did. Forgive like I forgave. Love like I loved. So I want to take you to Matthew 27, verse 32. We've uh, we've decided in this um, series uh, for Lent that we would focus on the last hours of Jesus' life. And so we started, as you remember, with the Last Supper, and then we were in the garden. And you can see the pictures behind me representing each image. And then the betrayal and the denial and the suffering. And today we've hung the final piece of art in the room, and it's about the cross. And... Uh, We've been pretty narrow in the whole series. There's a lot that you could say about each passage. But we've chosen to look specifically at how Jesus responded to each of these events. And and knowing that the Word of God calls us to become like Jesus and our desires to become like Jesus. Can we somehow respond as Jesus responded when people hurt us? Or when people wrong us? Or when people cause us to suffer greatly? Can, can we be like Jesus in those moments? That's really the question that we're asking today. So let me take you to Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. I, I may be a little slow getting through. I might make a few comments along the way, okay? So just bear with me as I do. But as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. Now, why did they force him to carry the cross? And the assumption is that Jesus had lost so much blood that he suffered so greatly from the whipping that he had taken that he had very little life left in him. And although they probably put the cross on him initially, he could not stand the weight of the cross. And he fell to the ground and they forced this man to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There's theories on why it was called Golgotha. There is a mountain right outside the city of Jerusalem where there's a rock and it looks like a skull. Uh, I've seen it myself, and they wonder if it's called the place of the skull because it looked like a human skull. Two other theories are that maybe there were many tombs there, or maybe it was the place of execution. Um, not really for sure. Those are all theories. We do know that Golgotha is an Aramaic word translated for the word skull. The Latin word for Golgotha, or for skull rather, is Calvaria, where we get our word Calvary from. So we talk about Mount Calvary. That's where Golgotha, Aramaic, Skull, Latin, Calvaria comes from. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Were they offering him refreshment with a drug to dull his senses? That's what some believe. Others believe it was another form of torture. So when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. This is about shame and humiliation. In every culture, if you took all of my clothes off me and stood me here today, I would be terribly humiliated. Um, 
in that culture, it was even more humiliating. And setting down, they kept watch over him there. And above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is the doings of Pilate, no doubt. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Probably trying to deter anyone else who would follow a rebel king. So two rebels were crucified with him. One on his right and one on his left. And those passed by hurled insults at him. Shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come on down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel? Well, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God? Well, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And so in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. We're talking about at noon. The sun doesn't shine until three. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, and he's quoting to you here in in a language we can understand, but he's quoting from Hebrew and Aramaic, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Eli probably sounded like Elias. And the belief was that Elijah would come to save. And about immediately, rather, one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar and put it on his staff and he offered it to Jesus to drink. Again, was this a refreshing drink the soldiers drank or was this more torture? That's the debate. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah does come to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He willingly gave his life, I believe, is what Matthew is saying. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was on a FaceTime call this week on Friday morning with Harlan and Barbie Moore. Many of you know them. They are representing us in a small country in southern Africa called Eswatini. They're living there right now. And uh, we talked about many good things that are happening there. We talked a little bit about uh, a place that was built two years ago called Haven of Hope. It's a, it's a home for young women who have been um, in primarily a sexual abusive situation, mostly in their home. The government has taken them out of their home. And even though these young girls might have had faith, might have had hope in Jesus, they had no haven, nowhere to go. Uh, now they have a place to go. Uh, the, the place stays overfilled beyond capacity at all times. But at Harlan and Barbie had a conversation with me in which they were both very moved. And they described to me meeting a young woman there. Her situation, what she had been through, what she endured, and the brokenness that it has left in her life.
Was there times when she cried out to God? Were there times when she wondered if God was anywhere near? And if he was, why do you seem so far away? Do you wonder if there were times in her life when she said, God, do you see me? God, do you hear me? It's it's really where we find Jesus on the cross. We know, we know because of Mark's gospel that they put Jesus on the cross about nine o'clock in the morning. And, and that he remained on the cross alive until about six o'clock, for about six hours, until about three o'clock in the afternoon. So from nine in the morning until three o'clock, six hours. In fact, Max Licato wrote a book once and I thought the title was brilliant and he called it Six Hours One Friday. And, and we know that about Halfway through the time of Jesus being on the cross, the sun ceased to shine and darkness covered the land for three hours. But, but when you get, when you get to three o'clock, Jesus cries out and he says, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? And I think it was Jesus' way of saying, God, you, you seem like you're a long way away from me right now. Do you, do you see me? Do you hear me? Are you near? Because it doesn't feel like you're near. I, I don't know, I don't know that there's a human being alive who hasn't at some point wondered and felt those things. Jesus is really quoting Psalm 22. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? God, it just seems like you're, you're, you're a long way away. If you're near, I can't sense it. If you're, if you're close by, I can't feel it. And I think, I think we are sometimes tempted to believe that God is not near and He doesn't see us and He doesn't hear us. God, I'm trying to do the right thing down here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to forgive when I need to forgive. I'm trying to love the people that I need to love. I'm, I'm trying to do right, but God, right now we're going through some tough stuff. I've got somebody that I love and they're very sick or somebody that I love and they're hurting deeply or I'm hurting deeply or emotionally I'm at the very bottom. I don't know how to bring myself up. God, I've got somebody that I love that I'm praying for. God, we're hurting. If you're near, I, I don't seem to feel it. I, I, are, do you hear me? Do you see me? Are, are you aware of what I'm going through? The, the way that Tradition has interpreted this passage is to say that um, Jesus is on the cross and he is carrying the full weight of the sin of humanity at this point. And God has to turn his head. As Jesus bears the weight of the sin of the world. God can't look upon the sin. That's, 
That's what I've heard kind of all of my life. Let, let, let me challenge you, though, to think in another way. When David writes Psalm 22, that's how it starts. My God, why have you forsaken me? If, if, you're, if you're here, I can't see you. Do you see me? Do you hear me? But as you continue to read the psalm, it is the full range of human emotion. And when you get to verse 24, David says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering or the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face. Let me say it again. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. In other words, when Jesus begins to quote the psalm, he knows the whole psalm. Could it have been that the entire psalm is in the heart of Jesus? And he begins to quote, my God, it feels like that you've turned your face. It feels like that you don't see me and you don't hear me. And it feels like you're far away. But oh no, God, I know that you've not hidden your face from me. And I know that you've listened to my cry for help. And could it actually be his affirmation of faith that, God, I know you've got a plan and I know you're still God and it's hurting like crazy and I don't know what to do and I feel like you're a long way away, but God, I know in my heart that you're near. I know you'd never turn your face. I like that interpretation much better. It's the picture of God that I believe is more real. And I think it's, it's why everything changes. It's, it, it's, it's why when they say, you can't save yourself. <laughs> you hear the words of Jesus echoing, no one takes my life from me. I laid it down. I'm here because I choose to be here. Because I still trust God. Because I still believe there's a plan. Because I've surrendered my life to the Father. That's why I'm here. My wife, my wife Annette and I, we were at my mother-in-law's a few weeks ago in Nashville, Tennessee. And we went out to dinner because she doesn't cook for me like she used to. Just telling the truth. That's just the way it is. And uh, we got back home. And... Um, and we're sitting in the living room and she turns on the television to, to a PBS station. And, and there was a Ken Burns documentary. I'm in a room with people who know who Ken Burns is, right? Next service, they're just, they don't, they don't know, you know. But it was about country music. And growing up in a small Kentucky town, we listened to a lot of country music. I would tell you it really helped form my thinking, but that's probably true, and I'm a little embarrassed by that, you know. But there were lots of stories, and and just because of listening to country music growing up, I I was interested in the documentary. But there was one story that really caught my attention. It was about a country music singer, songwriter, um, actor named Chris Christopherson. Still with my crowd, aren't I? Yeah. So, in the 1970s, he becomes as famous as you can get. 
in American society. But he was a mess. Like, like most people, he didn't handle fame and fortune well at all. Most people don't. And he began to live a lot of his life in a drunken stupor. And he was rowdy. And everybody knew it. And he tells the story about being in Cookville, Tennessee, singing one night on Saturday night. Comes back to Nashville. Sleeps very little, but gets talked into going to church the next morning by another singer, Connie Smith. Still my crowd, right? Yep. And so there was a church in Nashville that was pastored by a guy named Jimmy Snow. Jimmy Snow was the son of a popular country singer named Hank Snow. And, and over the years, a lot of people in that country music industry would attend Jimmy Snow's church. From time to time or whatever. And so it's Sunday morning. Chris Christopherson is as big as he can be. And, and he's standing in a church on a Sunday morning in Nashville. And he says, we get to the end of the service. And I had a religious experience. He called it a profound religious experience. He said, it was something I'd never experienced before in my life. He said, Jimmy's standing up there and he says, if you need Jesus in your life, I want you to raise your hand. And he said, well, I, I didn't go to church. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking to myself, raising my hand is out of the question. I might need Jesus, but that's not going to happen. But he said in the next few moments, I had raised my hand. I was so taken aback by what I was experiencing. Come on, you with me? What's happening? God's good, isn't he? And he said in a few minutes, Jimmy said, if you, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, if you want to be forgiven of your sin, if you want forgiveness, I want you to step out and I want you to walk down the aisle and come down to the front of the church. And Chris Christopherson said, I, I knew I wasn't going down front. That was for sure. But he said in a few minutes, I found myself standing down front in the church. And, and Jimmy said, Chris, kneel down here in front of me. And he said, I knelt down in front of him. And he began to pray over me. And he said, all of a sudden, I felt a forgiveness that I didn't even know I needed until that morning. You know. I'm, I'm telling you the story because this is, this is what the cross is about. It, it, it's about forgiveness for everybody and anybody. A, a, a guy who didn't know how to handle fortune and fame, but somehow ends up standing at a church on a Sunday morning. And to his surprise, his body's trembling. He's shaking. He feels a sense of love that he's never felt in his life. He raises his hand for prayer and he finds himself standing down front Asking Jesus to 
change his heart. And, and I, don't, I don't know enough about Christopherson or about his life today or how close he stayed to the faith. I, I, I don't really know anything about him. I just know that Jesus offers forgiveness to everybody and anybody. And so when we see Jesus on the cross, you know what? One of the first things he does while he's on the cross, he prays. He prays. What, what would you have done if you would have been on the cross? I would have prayed too. Would you have prayed? I would have been praying the whole time. Would you have been praying the whole time? God, get me off the cross. God, whatever you do, make this go fast. Can you make it? Can you get this over with? Just let me go. Let me die. But that's not what Jesus prayed. You know what Jesus prayed on the cross? The first thing that's recorded that Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He prays for the forgiveness of the people who are crucifying him. And the next thing that we hear him say on the cross is to one of the rebels who's crucified beside him. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. More forgiveness. He's all about forgiveness. The cross is all about forgiveness. And and let me take you back to the Last Supper. When we started this conversation back six weeks ago at the Last Supper, what did Jesus say? My blood is going to be poured out for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. This, this is about forgiveness. My body's going to be broken. My blood is going to be spilled. For what reason, Jesus? For forgiveness of sin. Do you know the cross lives get changed? Death is defeated and we get to enter into a right relationship with God. The sin that separated us. God's there. We're here. Something's between us. Something's not good with me and God. Jesus takes it on himself on the cross. He moves it out of the way. Our sin is covered. It's atoned for. And now we can live in a right relationship with God. Because of the cross. I'm going to change things up. Nick, come, will you? I want to do communion, Nick, after, uh, after we hear this song. Is that okay? Father, in these next few moments, I believe you have something that you're going to say through us, to us, through the power of a song. And Lord, would you, would you let us hear every word that you want to say to us? Would you touch our hearts in these next few moments? Would you speak to us as only you can speak to us, I pray. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, who died on a cross for us. Amen. Open your hearts, will you?
But His goodness and 
friend of mine sent me a video of a preacher preaching. You can stay standing. It's okay. And, um, and the preacher was talking about the thief on the cross. And he said, you know, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to that guy. I want to talk to the thief. And I want to say to him, you know, how did this shake out for you? Because you weren't supposed to be here in heaven. How, how did that all work out for you? And the preacher said, I think when he got to heaven and he stood at the gate, the angel asked him the thing, same thing. What are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, you, hours ago you were on a cross as a criminal. How, what are you doing? How did you make it? How did you get here? Finally, the angel looks at him and says, on what basis have you come here? And the thief said, the man on the middle cross said, I could come. That's the only basis that any of us get there, right? The man on the middle cross said, I could go. Anybody want some of this grace today? So would you take the elements that you received when you came in? Because this is receiving his grace, right? There's some of you this morning that need grace. You're saying, I have received his grace and I just want to sing and shout and thank the Lord for everything he's done for me. I am a redeemed child of God because of the blood of Jesus. There's somebody saying, I want some of that grace. I want to be forgiven. There's others saying, I need the grace to forgive. I've been forgiven now. I need the grace to forgive. So as we're doing this, if you want to come down to the altar and bring your elements with you and kneel here, you are so free to do so. In fact, you're encouraged to do so. You may want to come just as a as a way to say, God, I'm giving you thanks and praise for everything you've done for me. There'll be pastors around. They'll come. And if you want to pastor, pray with you. If you want to receive the grace of Jesus this morning, come. If you want to be forgiven, that forgiveness that I talked about a moment ago, forgive us. Forgiveness is, is, is available to you. If you need the grace to forgive this morning, you can come down too. So if you will take the, the cap off of the drink. No, wrong. Bread first. This is not going to work out for some of you. So Jesus, remember the Last Supper? Remember the first picture over here? This is my body broken for you. Take it, all of you. Receive his grace this morning. And then he takes the drink. My blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it and be forgiven this morning. Amen. Oh, the blood, Nick. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Could you do that? And then you can let us go. Okay.
praise the name of the Lord. You are dismissed this morning. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.